Welcome, our fellow lovers of love, and thank you for joining us on yet another excursion through the stream of consciousness down the river of tranquility to fill the lake of life with love. And good evening, our fellow lovers of love out there. We are here for another week. Tonight we're going to talk about uh, mental health again and how to support people with mental health challenges. Well, well, it is Mental Health Awareness Month. I've missed that. It's October. Is it? Yeah. I, I thought it was National Dress-Up Month. No. No. Okay. Well, it's that too. <laughs> I wonder if the two are related. Hmm. Probably <laughs> not. Probably not. Not everything. Not everything is related. And I, we're sitting here having a bit of fun while we talk about mental health because you know. <sighs> Quite frankly, you can't be serious all the time, but you want to talk about serious subjects, which we try to do here, but you want to do it in a loving, caring, compassionate way. And one of the things we have found is being able to laugh at your condition actually kind of humanizes it. And it really does. And so it's, you know, it prevents you from helps prevent you from feeling like a victim. And I think one of the things that is, uh, rampant these days of people feeling like victims and if you feel like a victim it's very difficult to have a happy life and so that's kind of what we're going to cover tonight anyway as always you can find us at latenightlove.us you can send um, letters to us and we can talk about them on the air if you would like at love at latenightlove.us or you can put questions comments and all those various things Hit the like, subscribe, blah, 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 share buttons, and we would greatly appreciate it. All right, we're going to move on. Also, before you can go it, we're going to, before we go on, we're going to talk. You can always reach out to something like the mentalhealthhotline.org, and the number is 1-866-903-378, some of them, 87. We will mention that again at the end of the night. All right, so... All right, Lovey, what do we want to start today? Well, we'd like to start with, and everyone wants to know, how do you support a friend? Yes, and just to let what everybody know. What can you do? And I don't mean to interrupt, but before we know, we've discussed in the past, we've gone through what are the uh, mental health, kind of the list of mental health, and you can find that. We've linked to that same list in um, on the website, so you can go to latenightlove.us and... Yeah, it talks about various the various mental health and issues. It's somewhere between twenty to thirty percent of of the country is dealing with some form of emotional mental health illness, depending upon how you calculate these things. And so, I think the article said one in five, which is twenty percent, and that's a pretty conservative number. It's likely higher. And so, if you're interested, you know, you can go to latenightlove.us and you can find the link to that. All right. Sorry about that, Levy. I think it was good to set the base while we kind of it seemed like we skipped ahead, which we kind of did, but because we've done it before. Okay. So how can we help those who have issues with mental health, who struggle with mental or emotional health? Yes. Well, one of the first things we can do is to realize that they didn't choose your loved one didn't choose to struggle with mental health issues. 
and they can't will the condition away. And the um, what you need to do is encourage him or her to talk openly about their issues as you listen without judgment. So that's one of the first things is not judging them. Yeah, so you can learn about mental health. That's a good thing, Nick, right? So one of the ways you can not judge them is by learning. You know, educate yourself, especially if you have a loved one or someone you care about, you know, and they have a specific condition. But also, one of the things is be aware. You never know what somebody else is going through on that particular day. You know, so try to be kind as you go through life. You know, I think is a... We never know, standing next to someone in a grocery store, you know. Yeah, you never, you never know what someone is going through. So, so just try to be as kind as you can on any given day because you're going through your own stuff, right? <laughs> yeah. And so that's how we deal with it. When we happen to be going through stuff on the same day, we just, you know, hey, you're on your own today. Okay. And then it's kind of how it is. <laughs> And then we uh, we find it best to um, be in our own space. Yeah, because... And, but we come together during the day in uh, various times, about every hour, and, you know, how you doing? Same. Oh, yeah, me too. All right. Yeah, so there's, I mean, there's ways to deal with it, even if you're both having bad days. You kind of find a strategy for that. It doesn't happen all that often, but, you know, especially those it's you care about. It's been a while. Especially for those you care about, that's uh, one strategy. You know, another one we, we've got, we're ready to, yeah, uh, avoid stigmatizing mental health, right? Yes. They're no different than other mental health conditions, than other health conditions, my bad. You know, they don't, people don't choose it, trust us. No. No, no one chooses this kind of thing. Um, so... Yeah, anyway. Oh, and for first-time listeners, I'm bipolar. Yeah, and so if you haven't heard before, Lubby's bipolar. I have anxiety disorder, and we've gone through, we both kind of gone through bouts of depression because uh, we're not being treated properly, mainly. Mainly, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, you know, once you get treated properly, the depression kind of more or less, I don't want to say goes away, but it, it's no longer a big issue because you actually treat. It's, it's amazing what happens when you treat the right thing. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, it's amazing how that works. Okay, so, but avoid stigmatizing. Um, you know, again, that comes with education. Once you feel educated about something, it's easy to not stigmatize. But again, you know, oftentimes I don't mind people joking about anxiety disorders and stuff. I find it, you know, I don't want to be treated with kid gloves in the paper bag either. You know, I don't want to be single different. I want to be able to laugh at myself and laugh at my foils and my idiosyncrasies, just like everybody else gets to. And I don't want other people to feel like they have to walk around on eggshell. You know, if you want to have a joke about them feeling anxious that day, I'm not going to be offended about it, right? I know how I, I understand when it's not the same thing, but I get it. You know, I, I just personally, you know, mm-hmm. I just don't want to be. I don't think being treated with kid gloves, 
necessarily helps. Compassion is the different. Yes, is a different thing, and that's one of the things. Listen and learn. You know what the person you care about needs from you. Some need you to kind of poke fun at them and know when to and when not to and when to laugh and when not to laugh and others. And sometimes you don't know what they need. Yeah, and my famous one is I ask. I don't know what you need right now. What you need from me? And I'll just simply ask. <laughs> That's actually a marvelously effective, marvelously effective uh, technique. Just simply ask. What do you need from me right now? works wonderfully well surprisingly mm -hmm. well maybe not surprisingly i guess is the is the thing but that's always i've said it a thousand times now <laughs> on this show over the almost 200 episodes we've done what is it almost 200 yeah yeah so 188 i think is what we're at so i've said that one many a times yeah just ask <laughs> better ask somebody all right so what's next? Um, assist your loved one in seeking help. Again, that goes with asking, seeing what kind of help they actually need. Do they need you to go with them? Do they need you to drive them there? Maybe they need you to help choose the therapist. You know, maybe they just need you to be supportive and be a cheerleader and, you know, and understand that, you know, some therapy sessions are hard and they're going to have to kind of take a day or so to recuperate from it you know these things happen so that's yeah you know assist in what they can do but you're going to have to again listen and learn and then help where you're needed yeah and what you you know what you can do there's always that you know you have your own life to live so you know you'll figure it find that balance okay what do we got um offer meaningful support if your friend is overwhelmed at work, consider picking up the kids from school. Yeah, so, you know, as we just, just we seem to be, I seem to be answering these things a, a question ahead. Okay, so, yeah, we've just talked about kind of the things to do, you know, pick and choose. If okay. your sibling has trouble focusing on daily tasks, offer to help by mowing the lawn or weeding the garden. Yeah, but don't let them take advantage of you, especially if they're younger. But if they're older siblings and this is a lifelong thing, you know what, when they're just having being overwhelmed versus when they're being <laughs> manipulative, right? You've spent a lifetime with these persons. You should know that by now. Okay. Next one is take symptoms seriously. So, yes. Yeah. Um, I like this, what they have to say in here. Mental health issues can color the way you see the world. And no amount of arguing is going to change your loved one's perceptions. Yeah, because the world you see isn't the same world they see. And that was one of the things. Once I learned I was dealing with an anxiety disorder, uh, then, okay, now now the world makes made less sense. But uh, the reason it didn't make sense before <laughs> it made sense, if that makes any sense. Sense. <laughs> yes, that, it does. That sentence got out of hand. Um, <laughs> all right. But, yeah, take the people's symptoms seriously. And, you know, understand that finding the right diagnosis can often be difficult. And I don't know if they're going to talk about it later, but, you know, medication is often a long, rough road before you find something that settles and works. It's very rare the first one works. 
the way you want it to. Yes. Yeah. So, okay. Give your loved one control. You know, you, you don't don't hold their hand unless they need it. Is is a is a simple way to say that one. You know, cheer them on as much as you can. You know, because sometimes failure is the way to success. But be there to help them up. And if they really need you to hold their hand across the proverbial street, then hold their hand across the proverbial street. But the point is to get them to be able to cross the street by themselves at some point. At some point. And, you know, you don't want to reach the point where it's hard for both of you to, to do that. So, you know, if someone's really suffering, still give them as much control as they can handle. And as they become stronger, they'll be able to handle more. That's how that works. Okay, so next one's offer unconditional love. Which is shouldn't be. Um, they make a statement, and I feel it's true. People with mental health conditions frequently worry that they are unlovable. Yeah, they self they overly self identify. And that makes a um, a difficult life. Like I said, then the misinterpreting the world. <laughs> you're misinterpreting the world, and then you're overright self-identifying everything. Everything's about you. You know, the person who was who was grumpy at the cast register was grumpy because of you. It was you, not just the fact that they had a bad day. <laughs> you know. And so, yeah. So you being the stable person in their life, I suppose, is a uh, someone they know they can trust is a good thing. Build upon your strengths. So if a loved one is struggling, you know, find things they're good at, and you know, help them with the small victories. Because you know, when people have a. Uh, Confidence problems. One of the hardest things to do is to try. And if you're really struggling with with um, mental health issues, you know that confidence to try is even harder. You got everything telling you you're not good enough. So, you know, try to find something they're good at and let them do it. Let them try. Let them succeed. And you know, even success doesn't always succeed. You know what I mean? Some big, huge goal isn't necessarily the success. Maybe just getting, doing something is the success. So Anything. Anything is the success. Sometimes it's just getting out of bed and getting dressed. Yeah. So finding something that they can do, something they can focus on, something they can sink their teeth into. You know, it's a time to lean into their hobby or, or, or an interest. You know, go do some public service, something that's kind of self-motivating, even if it's just volunteer work. You know, if it if it's motivates them, it motivates them. And if you can follow through on there, they can, you know, build some successes. That way, it can often lead to a, a life transition. It happens, we see it all the time, where someone starts doing some work at a, at a volunteering an hour or two a week someplace. And, you know, five years later, they're running the joint. You know, they're getting paid to run the joint <laughs> because they had this skill that was just locked in a, in a, uh, in a case of, 
mental health issues and trauma and whatnot. And as soon as they found an environment that they could thrive at, they throve. So anyway, and the last one is to keep them safe. You know, as much as anything, you know, pay attention, especially if it's real severe, you know, pay attention for, for uh, suicide, signs of suicide, that kind of thinking, you know, guide them to mental health to getting themselves mental health you can't or even uh, a suicide prevention hotline yeah. is you know if there's an imminent danger yeah and you can call you don't have they don't have to be the ones you can call if you have to but you know call the mental health if you're just kind of worried that mental health hotline isn't just for people suffering it's also for people who need help with someone who's suffering yes so there's there's lots of different types of resources. Okay. So then we've got what's next, Milavi? What to expect in a counseling session? Ah, yes, because we often refer people to counseling sessions. I think we've done this before, but we're going to do it again because it's that important. You know, counseling is intimidating. A lot of people don't know what it is, but with the what they know is from popular media and uh, and comedians and things like that. Now, it's becoming much more real in comedy. Comedy comedians are actually starting to talk about uh, going to therapy a lot more, which is actually good. Yes. <laughs> I, you know, I, I, that's, you know, comedy is a way to talk about uncomfortable things and, you know, to bring up um, uncomfortable subjects. And so I think it's good that comedians are starting to open up about this because comedians are often tortured people you know this comedy is a way to to cope yes and you know so anyway all right unfortunately it doesn't always work no robin williams we lost the battle he lost his battle yeah and there's lots of um, you know, suicide is a national tragedy. And so, anyway, so let's try and get focus back on it. So, getting on to counseling. So, getting into counseling is is, is itself it can be awkward, intimidating, and if you've got an anxiety disorder, you've got that whole issue to deal with, right? That compounds it. You're doing something new and unknown. Trying to deal with yeah. issues you're dealing with. Like yeah, you're dealing with your issues and you're trying to pick a therapist. Yeah. You got this big old brouhaha. What if you get it wrong? What if they don't like you? You know, all those all those things and they're exploded because you're actually trying to seek help and you have to be willing to be vulnerable, you know, in order to do that. Yes. It's you much, do have to make yourself vulnerable. It's easier to go get you know, broken leg fixed than it is to go make the choice to walk into an office, you know, sit down and, and have a difficult conversation with people. So, you know, and it doesn't have to be a mental health issue. You know, some people just like to check in, you know, or what is it? Preventative maintenance, you know, yeah. just, just check in with your counselor you know, have a conversation. Or maybe a specific problem. Yeah. That you want 
to talk about and well, get some guidance on. The guidance, that's what a guidance counselor is for. Or, and you know, things happen in your life. You can go four, five, six months where you don't really need your counselor, but then something's going to happen, and you're going to appreciate that appointment is still there. And so, <laughs> yeah, you know, so there is that. And so, so what do you know? So what? how do we get to, what are you going to talk about when we get to ex- uh where you at here? So I don't know where you, what you, how you wanted to cover this one. So you're on, you're on, for now. I'm on for now. You're okay. On. All right. All right. What's going to happen is, um, what you can expect is someone who's gonna. They really want to get to know you, so they're gonna ask a lot of questions. And from experience, I know one of the questions is, "What are you seeking?" In counseling, what are you here for? How how can I help you? Yep, that's that's the other one. That's one of those. And you know, I'm trying to think back. God, it's been so long since I've had a first counseling session with somebody. Uh, <laughs> I've been lucky. I've had a counseling counselor for God, fifteen years. And to tell you the truth, I like asking a, a couple of questions about them, just like. Are they married? Do they have kids? You know, how do they do like their job? Well, that's actually... You know, and then just so I feel I know them a little bit. Well, that's actually important. You're going to be talking... That's actually something important. You're going to be talking about very personal things. And while you don't need to know everything about their lives, it's good to know that you're discussionally compatible, Right. You would never guess. Me and my my counselor are like politically completely different. Well, at least the path to get to the world we want is different. The world we theoretically want is very similar, but we have a completely different path of getting there, right? Yes. And we know this because we've been fifteen years of conversation. You know these things. You you work these things. <laughs> this happen. You know you happen to know after fifteen years of conversations. But so you're part. You don't need to be you know, like you in order to be able to help you and support you. In fact, sometimes you need someone who's actually different so they can be a more effective mirror. Yeah. So it is, it's a really personal thing. It's like a personal service. You're not going into a restaurant and ordering the number five. No. This is a very personal service, and so it should be treated as such. And so getting to know them on a personal level isn't about doesn't mean they have to agree with everything doesn't mean you have to you can have completely different lifestyles and they still be an effective counselor but you have to be able to want to sit down in a room and have a conversation with them yes <laughs> right because if you can't do that you can't have a counselor and so there is part of that is just being able to have a conversation and you have to be able to hold up your end of it because quite frankly you're going to be the one who has to get used to talking and the way you getting used to talking and coming in the city. It took me three sessions before we actually sat down and did any actual three, maybe even four, before we actually sat down and had a counseling counseling session because I'm not willing to talk to people until I'm comfortable with them. And you know, the fact that I was willing to go three or four was probably a you know a good sign. Right? Yeah, I'm willing to go back and talk to that person. <laughs> yeah, I'm willing to go back and talk to that. And eventually we started talking about things that were needed to be discussed, but you couldn't have gotten there without those first first few sessions. There's no way. It wasn't going to go from 
I wasn't going to skip that. So, you know, so the question is, when you leave, it was am I willing to talk to this person again? Am yeah. I willing to talk to them this, this again? So that's one of the questions I think when you leave your counselor. Okay, so where are we at next? Um. Oh, discussing your challenges. Uh, feeling embarrassed is common. Uh huh. And um, being completely honest is not easy. No, well, and. And you don't necessarily have to be com- completely honest. Oh, hiccups! Right, you get to be the filter. Right, you don't have to tell them everything. <laughs> the high point. Yeah, I mean, and you know, you'll you'll know what you need to discuss and what you don't. You don't need to discuss deep personal things that you're not struggling with. What you need to discuss are the things you're struggling with. You know, maybe you do want to discuss your successes. You know, things that are easy. You know, there's times that you just don't want to deal with anything that day. And so you talk about kind of the easy things. But for the most part, you're only talking about the things that are difficult. And so, you know, these discussing uncomfortable things. Unfortunately. Yeah. 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 Okay. Um. Now, counselors talk to people all day, every day. Yes. And there is nothing under the sun that's new. No. And they pretty much heard it all. So, it won't be a first time for them hearing about. Especially if they've been around for more than five, six years. Um, They're like ER doctors, right? They've seen everything. Even if they, even if you surprise them, they're not going to be that surprised because <laughs> something will have been worse. <laughs> Just, well, <laughs> you know, somebody else is always worse. So there's always, it's like there's always somebody better. There's always somebody worse. <laughs> so, and again, we're not. It's not being judgmental. There's always, there's always people who have struggles that when we look at them. We would say those those are struggles that are worse than mine. Just like when we look at people and we say their life is easier than mine. But we don't know that. No, we don't. You know, so. Okay, so where are we at now? Uh, they can't now. What you say is confidential, of course, highly confidential. However, by law, and these vary a little bit, state to state. But if you're a danger to yourself or someone else, they're responsible for for getting you appropriate help. Yes. And they're mandated reporters for child abuse and elder abuse. Yeah. And the National Suicide Prevention Hotline is 988. That's all you have to dial. Yeah, that's a good one. So there you go, 988. That's actually, I didn't know. I just learned something every day. So what? don't be afraid to ask your counselor lots of questions. Again, that's part of getting to know them. So... 
and you now have online options. Yes. You know, it's especially for the the younger generation. You know, people who are used to, who grown up with you know online. It's much more comfortable. The Zoomers, so to call them, or whatever the heck they're calling them these days. Zoomers. Yeah, I don't know. The, you know, the kids who grew up on Zoom. So that's their. Uh... All right. So how do we prepare? We got a couple minutes. So how we got do we... a couple minutes. Well, the first thing to do is before you get your therapist, is to one of the first things in a session, is to ask, what is their school of thought? Personally, I'm a Rogerian. I'm a talk therapy. Yep. So. And the big trend now is in behavioral therapy. Yeah, behavior therapy, and then you know, and if you and if you're dealing with a psychiatrist, that's a whole another ball of wax. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, a counselor and and a psychi- psychiatrist is two separate things. Yeah, they may actually work together. You know, a good team would actually you actually might have. If you're suffering from severe issues, you may have both. You may have a therapist and, and a psychiatrist. I have had in the past a therapist and, and a psychiatrist. I would check in every couple months. And the psychiatrist was the one who had the prescription pad. Yeah, so depending upon your needs, you may have one or both. So... Because they are slightly different. I mean, we often confuse them as the same, but they are different. Um, no, number two is consider your past therapy experiences. You know, if you have them. So, you know, if you've well, had... I did not have a first, a good first therapy experience. I was 15, and my counselor, we, he, he seduced me. So, well, that was worse than mine then. My mine was I don't know, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, somewhere around there. I don't know how old mm-hmm. there was. And you go there and they have they show you those those Rorschach tests, you know, where the dots. Oh yeah, the, yeah, 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 yeah. All I see is a blank piece of paper, is paper with black spots on it, right? I don't see. Anything. It's a paper that someone folded and and put. You know, that's what it looks like. Ink on it. Yeah, (laughs) looks like someone spilled ink on it and then folded the paper. You know, half of the paper. That's what it looks like. (laughs) They didn't like that answer, but that's what I saw. I wasn't being like a smart ass. That's what I saw, and yeah, so I couldn't take them seriously. That doesn't mean anything when I just have to start making stuff up just to make them happy. But I knew that. I had faith that I was going to find a therapist that um, could help me in my 20s. And I had an abusive husband. And um, through after a year and a half of therapy, I left that husband. And But I had faith. That that's not what counseling was, you know. I knew that one, right? <laughs> so I, uh, so I've had um, many successful counselors since then. Okay. Yeah. 
All right, so we're going to go one, consider a phone visit before. You know, talk to them on the phone before you seek a full, con, uh, full consultation, a full uh, session. Um, fill out all your pr- intake paperwork. You know, anything you need, health insurance, if you're doing that, even though, quite frankly, it's cheaper just to pay them by the hour. Uh, prepare yourself. You know, emotionally write down the issues you want to get covered, the questions you want to have asked because you're going that you're going to forget <laughs> when you're there. Yes. <laughs> so come up with their list of if yeah, that's you know if you have them, and you know, have a one list for one. If okay, here's a list for session one, and if we make it to a session two, here's a secondary list. It's okay to you know make a secondary set of questions, set of questions. Once you get the first set answered, you you think about them later. And issues. So, yeah. Markers of progress. Uh, I don't know. See, therapy is not a linear thing. And so, I don't know. It's hard to put a marker of progress. It's the question is for me is, are you making progress over time? Yes. Yeah. So, but, you know, you have to figure out how to judge that. And you have to do that. No one else can make that judgment for you. And sometimes... Uh, it would happen to me. I wouldn't want to go. I just didn't feel up to it. And those invariably were the breakthrough days. Yeah, sometimes you don't want to go. Your mind says, I don't want to deal with what I have to deal with. <laughs> <laughs> and you just, I'm too tired for that. But you go anyway. And yeah, it forces you. You know, and remember, think about therapy as a team effort. You know, um, you, trust me, you don't go come out of a therapy session, you know, none the worse for wear. Those, a good therapy session is actually exhausting and takes some time to kind of recover from. To process is, is probably a better word. To take some time to kind of process it properly. And so, you know, having a supportive, <coughs> having a su- supportive house, supportive spouse house, you know, family, friends. You know, that understand that, hey, they need to be left alone after th- on therapy day, you know, <laughs> or, or you know, they need extra love from the kids. Hey, it's mom's phone from therapy day. Go, go give mom a, an extra hug when she gets home. She needs an extra hug, you know, whatever it is. You know, there's a number of ways. Again, learn. We went back to the other one we discussed, you know, learn and listen. Listen and learn. <laughs> yeah. What yes. they need. What, they, what need. they need. Yeah. You know, don't stress. Oh, yeah, don't stress. <laughs> yeah, just relax. Yeah, just relax. Just relax. That might be the dumbest thing on this list. <laughs> Breathe. I yeah. like that. Yeah. And relax is emphasized. It's in bold. Yeah. That's, yeah. Like someone telling how someone have a panic attack. Oh, just relax. No, yeah. Try to relax, especially on the days prior. But it's not going to be successful. Keep an open mind, which is, you know, okay, try to keep an open mind. Try to keep an open mind to suggestions from your counselor, yeah. Yeah, and not just the thing, the whole process, right, especially if you're reluctant to do it. If you're going to do it, you know, go in with a good old college try because otherwise, what's the point? So, you know, go with the open mind. And if you need to, have a supportive friend or family for, um, you know, help you, especially the first session or two, 
someone a friendly face after you get out, you know. I'll have someone meet you after, for coffee afterwards if, yeah. you, if, you, if you don't want to be alone. You'll figure out what you need eventually. But those first couple times having someone take you isn't a bad idea because it can actually, if, especially if you, you and your counselor click or your counselor happens to be one of those who cuts to the chase and there are those who, you know, you well get work done on the first day. <laughs> and so if you happen to run into one of those, you know, you, you're not really prepared for it, it, it could be a good idea to have it. Yeah. And again, so a we're backup gonna, plan. Yeah. So again, we can go to mentalhotline.org, 1-866-903-3787 if you're having, you or a loved one are having um, issues to cover. All right, my love. We are going to move on to questions. Yes, and we're going to start with relationships. Oh, yay. All right. Okay. All right. Okay. And if you have a question for us, you can send it to Late Night Love. Love at late night love.us, or you can go to the website and there's a contact form on there. Or you can, I don't know, leave it as a comment, even though you probably wouldn't want to do that. All right, what's next? Okay, first question mm -hmm. The man, 25 male, I'm 27 female, seeing is bad at sex. How do I tell him what I need without hurting him? She wants to talk to him, but she's afraid he's gonna feel bad. Well, put it this way. He's going to feel worse if you don't. Because at some point, he's going to find out. You guys are going to have an argument. And it's going to come blurting out. and You're going to regret it later. But some way, somehow, it'll happen. And so, I don't know. Just direct him. He's 25. He probably hasn't had much experience. He needs someone to teach him. So you get to be teacher. And whether you like that role or not, <laughs> is you know a question only she can answer but yeah just deal with it just don't say he's bad at sex just tell show him ways he can improve that's all and honey can i show you something is <laughs> <laughs> very successful yeah yeah don't don't focus on how what he's doing wrong you know focus on helping him do it right think of it that way yeah. And it's probably just inexperienced and you know. Yeah. Would be my guess. And you're more experienced than him is that's the general sign of that. So okay. Okay, husband, male thirty two, forgot my female twenty nine birthday. And I can't seem to move on. Well, twenty nine is a big one. The nines are big. Well, and not everybody has the same attitudes towards birthdays as everybody else. And my guess is her husband probably doesn't really care all that much about birthdays. And so birthdays are easy to slip out the thing. So here's the thing. You can be a little proactive. He's got a phone with a calendar on it. Set them a reminder of a week before your birthday next for next year. <laughs> and just be proactive if you want the gift. Because he's probably just not going to ever remember. It's not that he doesn't love you. It's the birthdays just don't hit his list for whatever reason. You know? Yeah. Yeah, it would be my guess. 
and you know maybe he's got ADHD or something like that, and you know he gets lost in time and oh crap, his birthday was yesterday. I didn't mean to forget. <laughs> I just forgot. And yeah, yeah, let it make it up to you would be my guess. Yes. Yeah, let him make it up to you, and maybe accept that it, he didn't forget your birthday. He just didn't remember it on the day. It happens. Maybe he's preparing you for when you're old. I, I don't know. Yeah. But my suggestion is be proactive. Put a reminder in his phone. That's what you do for people you love. <laughs> you know, if you if you care that much, put a reminder in his phone for him. Yeah. 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 It, you know, then move on. But I understand the hurt, and but yeah, it's it is just a birthday. Yeah. Do you really want to carry it on? So solve the problem. All right, next. Sorry. My boyfriend, twenty eight male, is disgusted at me, twenty female, for my mostly eating snack habits, and wants to change them. Am I being too difficult? Well, no, he is. Well, it depends on her snack habits. Maybe her snack habits are disgusting. So? Well, I mean... They're hers. Well, but that's not necessarily the... What she calls snack habits, you know, she could be living in her mess. And that's what he could be mad at. There's all kinds of things that that could mean. Without more details, I can't give a good answer. Okay. But, you know, if it's that thing, you know, find a different boyfriend who's not disgusted by it. I mean, are you just eating weird food and and that's not? Or you're consuming lots of weird food and leaving your packages all over in your crumbs? And, and that's the bad habits he's actually talking about. You know, it, it doesn't say. Yeah. Are you eating sushimi and that's just and he finds it gross and disgusting? Or <laughs> or are you, you know, sitting there eating bonbons and living in your filth? It's hard to know. Okay. So but if you know, if you're just eating sushimi or something weird and he's disgusted by the food you're eating, you know, maybe find a new boyfriend. You know. But Sometimes people's, I find food that you eat on occasion disgusting. So, yeah, I just don't mention it. Okay. I, 18 female, smoked a cigarette at a party, and now my boyfriend, 19 male, tells me I need to make it up to him. What can I do? Break up with him? Definitely. Yeah, dead. That's just that's a that's a that's not just a red flag. That's like you know, the matador raving the red cape. You know. Yeah, yeah. Because what's that? I don't understand. How does he make it up to him for what? What did you do to him? Yeah. So, yeah, that would be my. That's the easy the easiest question we've had in a while. Yeah, break up with him. There you go. Okay. <laughs> Okay, here's one for you. All right. She's got teenagers. Yeah. Kids are eating me out of house and home. How do I manage our grocery budget and snacks? Go to the store every other day and buy two days worth of food. And those two days are for, well, that's how I got my teenagers through 
eating me out of house and home. Hey, man, there might have been a couple periods of time where I only went once every day just to buy the food for the day. <laughs> you can't eat what's not there. <laughs> that's, the, that's the thing there. They're getting enough to eat. They're just human garbage disposals. You know? Or the other thing is you buy cheap things that they have to cook. And if they want to eat, they're going to have to cook it themselves. Pastas and things like that that are relatively cheap. They'll learn how to cook, too. So there's two ways to do that. But my, now I granted I live like three blocks from the grocery store, so it was easy for me to go to the grocery store every other day. And there was other things, you know, we're talking about mental health days. That was one way for me to get out the house when I was a shut-in. It's one of the few things I managed to keep myself doing during a difficult period. So there was a number of things to that, but it saved my budget. I learned quickly that, <laughs> that hey, this is a side benefit of this is those boys can't eat what's not in the house. <laughs> so if you only buy two days' worth of food, they can only eat, at most, two days' worth of food. And they're pretty smart. They learn pretty quick that not to eat tomorrow's food. So, But they can't learn to not eat, not eat you know, Friday's food. They, just, they can't wrap their head around that. So they can learn tomorrow's. So there, that's mine. Go shopping more often, smaller trips. Yeah. Follow trips more often. It's the only suggestion. And snacks that are cheap and makes them have to cook it because then they won't want to. So, anyway. Okay. What's one thing you missed from before you had kids? Oh, good Lord. I have no clue. I had kids Sleeping at 19. Sleeping in. I had kids at like 19. I didn't sleep in at night. Well, I mean, I did, but I don't know. There's nothing. That's nothing. I didn't have enough of a life before kids to miss anything. My teenage years sucked. You know, I hated them because I had undiagnosed anxiety disorder and didn't know it. And so, you know, misinterpreting the whole world. There was nothing. Kids gave me direction in life. So there's nothing I missed from before I had kids. So how's that? Huh. There's that answer. Okay, what's next? When do kids stop needing you to entertain them? Um, um, 60. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> it, it, there's no actual answer to that question because it could be five, it could be 15, it could be never. It, it just, you know, it depends on your family and your, your child and blah, 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 blah. So... Quite frankly, at some point, you'll miss having to entertain them. You want them there to entertain them. You will. Yes, you will. So, you know, I know you're tired. <laughs> and I, I know that you're not going to. You don't believe this right now. But you will look back, and these will be some of the best days of your life. Getting to watch those kids grow up it'll be the best times of your life so you know it doesn't feel like it now but that's because life's gonna suck coming up so <laughs> and toddlers laughing children have laughed children laughing is the one of the greatest things in the world and so yeah so anyway okay what's next is it where to lock our door at night okay their bedroom door now backstory uh -huh. He, um, the husband, 
at night, he'll like hear a noise or sometimes for no reason at all, he'll jump out of bed all scared uh-huh. and kind of waving around and giving uh, sleep terrors. Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah, sleep terrors. So she she wants to lock the door so their their toddler won't come in. That's an interesting one. Uh, is, is it? Okay, first I'm going to answer the question as it's asked. No. There's lots of reasons to want to lock your door at night. Maybe you sleep naked and you don't want your teenagers or somebody to walk in, you know, whatever. There's all kinds of reasons to have That's why we have privacy locks on doors. Um, so, no, it's not weird. Um, now, to do it, to lock your toddler out from that, I suppose you could. It wouldn't be my reason. I wouldn't want to hide, you know, the fact that my father, you know, I don't want to hide that from him because at some point it's going to scare them if they're not acclimated to it at an early. Mm-hmm. So it's a tough one. It's a tough one, but it wouldn't be weird. So I'm not, I don't have an answer to whether they should or not based on the, that circumstances, but I am going to answer that. No, it's not weird. It's a perfectly normal reaction normal thing to do for lots of circumstances including yours and the decision to do it is personal yes it is it's personal okay okay we're gonna move on to work question oh yay how do you combat the sunday scaries um treat your anxiety disorder that would be my suggestion on how to combat the sunday scaries So I get it, right? Remember, you're coming from someone who has an anxiety disorder. So it's a sudden, you know, you've got all the stuff you've got to deal with. It starts hitting you on Sunday, right? Just as you finish putting it all away. Mm-hmm. And then it comes at you on Sunday evening. So, yeah, how do you deal with them? Treat your anxiety disorder. That's what you do. Sorry. That's not a good answer, but it's the right one. Okay, what's next? Is there any good way to deal with management favorite lazy employee? Um, no. God, you're giving questions with short answers tonight. That's a short answer. There's no good way to deal with it. There's there's just not. Anything you anything you try to do is just gonna look petty. And probably because it kinda is. You know, the the other suggestion would be to make yourself more likable. I was watching a video on um, why you're not advancing in, in your career and why people who you know, are lazy or not as good seem to get promoted. And one is they're likable, and two, they do the jobs no one else wants to do so they become trustworthy. They'll take on the tough jobs that have high su- chance of failure, will succeed despite themselves, and, <laughs> and next thing they know, they're now trusted because they were willing to take on and take the risk of a, of a difficult task. So, you know, maybe the best way to deal with your management's favorite lazy employee is to become more likable. Or not. Just not deal with it at all. Who cares? 
Are you doing your job? Does it prevent you from doing your job? And doesn't, don't worry about it. That's two ways to deal with it. Okay. Because, like, how, trying to go to HR or something is not going to do any good. How about that? <laughs> so, okay. What's, what's, what's next? the best way to counter our coworker smell in the office? Um, it depends what the smell is. I mean, if if you've tried all kinds of being polite and all that kind of stuff and whatnot, I suppose you go to management, you know, HR or whatnot, and let someone else deal with it is probably the best way to. I mean, from a run-of-the-mill worker thing. Yes. Yeah. This is let someone else deal with it. Definitely. Um, now, if you're the one who gets stuck having to deal with it, that's a difficult conversation. <laughs> right? Because it may be a medical issue, and there, it may not be a hygiene or anything. It may simply be a medical issue. Right? And so then. Could be. And then, so if you try to deal with it, you may have some legal accommodation that has to be done. And so, you know. Get one of those air fresheners near your desk. Yeah, I guess maybe. I don't know. So there, there's a couple ways to not deal with it. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> okay, what's next? How do I ask for a better shift? They work for midnight and uh, and they're missing the whole day. Yeah. Yeah, that's part of working that shift. Um. To, to ask for a better shift, first, you're just going to have to go through the process of asking for a better shift so they know you're looking for it when one, when the better shift opens up, right? Because there may, remember, there's not always a better opening and a better shift. You can want it all you want, but if there's not an opening, <laughs> right, you're not, there's, you can't get one. Um, so there's that. But first is just make yourself known that you want a better ship, a shift. And secondly, make it so that you're valuable enough to them to be put on a better shift. There's a reason those people are on that shift. The better shift, right? Now, there's two ways to look at the better shift. That day shift, they have to work harder than you do than a night shift. They just do, right? You're essentially doing cleanup work. You know what it has to be done. You're not getting the changes. The day shift works harder than, so you have to be more productive. If you want to be moved to the, to the more productive shift, you have to be able to stand up to the more productive shift. You just do. Yeah. Otherwise, enjoy the slower pace of the night shift. <laughs> that would be my suggestion. <laughs> enjoy the slower pace of the night shift. All right. What, we got five minutes, so let's try to get through some of okay, these. Okay, let's zip through these sex questions. Guys, what do you do with your hands when you give oral to a woman? Um, just let them wander. And when you hit something that she responds to, do that again. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. You got long arms, man. <laughs> and you're near a whole body, you know? Women like being touched on just all over the place. So, yeah, that's how you find out where her sensitive spots are. When you find it, make a mental note and kiss that one later. Just, okay, just saying. That's a good way. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's a good way to find out her sensitive spots. And when you find them, you know, 
don't live there, but return there often. Okay. <laughs> okay. All right. This weekend, I had one of the most intense orgasms in my life. How do I do it again? They want to recreate it. Oh, you're never going to recreate it. It's just, what you do is recreate the conditions that created it, which, right? It, that happened not because of what you did. This is the mistake people make. They think it's the activity, but it's not. It's the mental attitude you had when you went into the, 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 the start of the activity. So that's the mental attitude is that you need to want to recreate, not the activity itself. The activity will take care of itself. It's the, it's the openness, security, um, whatever. And the reality is you may never have an orgasm like that again. Sorry. Or you may have one that's even better. You don't know. <laughs> you know, maybe you've had poor orgasms, and that's just a, you know. Now you've set a new standard. It's hard but to know. But the good news is that you have them, so you know. <laughs> hey. Yeah. Have some fun, but my don't chase it. Just have fun, and because the minute you start chasing it, you're putting pressure on yourselves, and you get you're not gonna. It's just not. So just hang loose and have some fun with it and enjoy it for what it was. Okay. Okay. Is there such a thing as wanting too much sex? He's 19, and that's like all he thinks about, and he's worried. Well, at 19, that's perfectly normal. So a breeze can make you think about sex. Uh, the trick is, is you learn to, you know, not listen to those things. That's how you learn to, that's how men learn to focus. You learn to stop thinking about sex every seven seconds. It's irritating. <laughs> it really is. Teenage irritating as crap. <laughs> but yeah, wanting too much? Well, yes, anything that interferes with the rest of your life is a problem. And I suppose if you're overly thinking about it, talk to a counselor about it. But my guess is you're probably just a normal 19-year-old worried that you're not normal. And then, yeah, you're perfectly normal. Yeah, yeah. The trick is for the next, I don't know, couple of years is to learn to control that. You can do it. We all have. <laughs> okay, what's this last one? Last one. How do I, 20s male, help my girlfriend, 20s, feel more attractive in herself? Okay, here's this trick. You can't. But what you can do is make her feel secure that you find her attractive. Because you can't make her feel anything inside of herself. It's not your job. It's You're not qualified. You only She's the only one who can do that. But you can create the conditions where she can believe she's attractive by having her understand that you will always find her attractive. That's it. That's all you can do. All you can do is reinforce that you all, that you find her attractive. And over time, you know, especially if she's getting some counseling and working on her own on herself, yeah, she'll come to appreciate that. But you can't help her help her feel more attractive. She has to make help that herself. But you can, you know, let it be known that you find her insanely attractive. Yes. Yeah. And by doing that, repeatedly, you know, yeah, someday, 
Maybe. <laughs> Probably not. <laughs> but maybe. <laughs> but you know what? That's all she actually will need. She won't need external validation. She won't even need internal validation because she has someone who cares about her. And that's what we all actually need, is it's not. We need someone to care about us when we sometimes don't care about ourselves. You know, we talked about mental health and talked even talked about suicide, and that's the problem is when people reach the point where they no longer care about themselves. Lots of bad things happen. Yes. You know, it goes from, from suicide to alcoholism to drug abuse to... You know, self-medication. You know, we've now got a fentanyl crisis because people are either treating their pain for themselves or treating their, emo you know, physical pain or emotional pain on their own. And, uh, you know, let's try to make the world a less lonely place. So if you can, find somebody to love and love them. When you have somebody to love, just love them. That's it for me and Lovey. To, that's it for me and Lovey tonight. You can send us a love letter to love at late night love us. You can always find us at love at late that late night love us. God, I can't say anything proper tonight. And um, you can like, subscribe, subscribe, share, do all that good fun stuff that all us creators can talk about. What the heck is up? Content creators always say. Almost I, done, man. Man, I'm trying to talk to you fast is what it is. Actually, oddly enough, I had a small, you know, random anxiety attack an hour before the show. It was strange. But we made it. It went away. It, like you do. <laughs> it was meaningless. All right. From Ask Me and Lubby, good night. Oops. Oh, God dang it. I'm doing this wrong again. From Me and Lubby, good night. And please remember to love everybody. Good night.